Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shibuglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Christopher Chen, who's the CEO of ChenMed, which operates nearly 80 medical centers in 10 states focused on serving the elderly, poor, and chronically ill. Due to its emphasis on preventative care, the organization's hospital admission rate is 30 to 50% lower than the national average. The company was started in reaction to an unsatisfactory experience Dr. Chen's father had with the healthcare system and uses a no-fee concierge practice model. We also had a RaiseLine guest, Dr. Vivian Lee, who runs Verily Life Sciences, who wrote the book, The Long Fix. And in that book, she talks very inspiringly about what Dr. Chen and his team at Chen Med have accomplished. So Dr. Chen, it's an honor to meet you and to have you on the show today. Dave, I'm so happy to be here. So I'd love to start off by hearing more about your own background. What made you decide to go into medicine and then specifically cardiovascular disease? You know, it's interesting. When we were young, we moved to Miami and we found ourselves as a family in a very peculiar circumstance. We found ourselves extremely poor. <laughs> and it's a longer story, but we actually spent about the first decade of our lives at one point, either homeless on food stamps, then eventually moving up to just to becoming low income. And what I, I got to do is I got to watch my, my father go through this journey of becoming a healthcare professional. And so as I watched this journey, I found it just absolutely fascinating that, you know, you could make an impact in people's lives in a very direct way. Going through all that, you know, all that struggle as a family, you know, we always had a very strong faith. And, and so the concept of being able to heal and make people better, always something that we gravitated to as a family. And then so ultimately when my dad started practicing and I saw the impact that he could make on patients, I, I remember showing up at restaurants and patients would come over and greet him and say, oh, gosh, your dad did such a great job. He saved my life. And I remember thinking, I want that. <laughs> I want to make that the kind of difference. That's pretty incredible. And thanks for sharing that and, and that personal experience. You know, you aren't only a physician. You are an entrepreneur and a physician leader who knows a lot about the healthcare system. And I know you're passionate about talking about the issues that the healthcare system faces. Do you mind giving our audience a bit more background on, on what led to that passion beyond just being a practicing physician? And then anything you want to share about how you think about healthcare? Sure, sure. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I went to medical school, my goal was I want to help people and want to make a difference. And as I got out of my training and I started really learning what was out there, what was going on, and I just took my head, you know, from sort of ground level and rose up maybe to about a 50,000 foot view. I said, you know, people aren't very kind about healthcare. You know, there's a lot of challenges. I'll give you an example. I'm, I keep hearing healthcare is really expensive. GDP is growing at a particular rate and, and, and healthcare is growing at twice that rate. If you compare the United States to other wealthy nations, we spend two to three times more on healthcare and that number is actually growing so at one point, we may become three to four times the cost of healthcare. And so you think about, well, the cost of healthcare is going up. And of course, as a practicing clinician, I say, well, that's because we're the best. You know, <laughs> I was, you know I'm Chinese, so I was raised by my, my parents to say, America is always the best. And so I said, that's because we're the best. And at that point, I just finished training in, in Boston and in New York. And of course, every day they tell you there that we're the best, right? So we're the best, we're the best, we're the best. And so I said, okay, well, well, let's look at our results, right? 
And compared to these wealthy nations, we aren't the best, right? I think two years ago or three years ago, we were number 31 in the country in terms of healthcare outcomes. So we pay two to three times more in healthcare, but we're number 31. The year after that, now we're number 32, apparently. So we're going in the wrong direction. And then if you look at results, if you want to get down even more deep, you're going to find that not only are our health outcomes not getting better, just look at life expectancy. Over the last five years, our life expectancy has not gone up. In fact, on average over the last five years, it's actually slightly gone down. And to make matters worse, this is quite a scary thing. You know, we live in a world of, in the United States, we talk about equality very, very frequently. We talk about equal opportunity. We talk about social justice. And all over the country, you're seeing all these like mini revolutions about like this injustice that's occurring. And if you actually look at that life expectancy that I just mentioned over the last five years, is slightly either staying the same or coming down, you're actually going to find out that there is a particular part of the population where the life expectancy is going through the roof. It's going up. And it's amazing. And that's wealthy people. But if you look at the grand majority of the United States, actually, in order to offset that substantial increase in life expectancy, what's going to bring it down? It's all the low-income people or moderate-income people. So what we're finding in every single state is a couple of problems. Number one, you have healthcare costs going up. It's happening everywhere. Going up faster than everything else. Number two, as a whole, you have the results not getting better and, in fact, getting worse. And even worse, you have something called a widening gap of outcomes disparities between the rich and the poor. So in, in New Orleans, as an example, there is a zip code that we are in where the average life expectancy is 57 years old. Three miles away, same city. Same city, there is a zip code in which the average life expectancy is 83. It's a 26-year difference. This phenomenon is occurring in every single city in the United States to different varying degrees. There's a zip code in, in, in Chicago versus the rich and the poor. It's a 30-year difference, okay? And the problem is getting greater. So we have an outcomes problem. We have a cause problem. And then we also have a, a sort of a social justice problem. All three of them. And that's why people are being unkind to healthcare because the results just aren't there. If you look at other industries out there, tech, every year your tech gets better and it gets cheaper. In healthcare, it gets worse and more expensive. This is the underlying problem. So what really pushed us into ChenMed was to solve this problem, was to solve the problem of why is this occurring? And I'm happy to talk deeper about it, but I believe the problem is you have an underlying system that is fundamentally flawed at its core, trying to be run by beautiful people. Because the kind of people that join healthcare, these are the folks that like, you know, they, we, we are natural healers. We want to save people. We want to make a difference. These are the mission-driven, loving people. And we have a system that actually rewards them for actually getting bad results. Think about that. And I know I'm speaking to folks who decided to go into healthcare and they go, how can this be? And I'm happy to tease this out a little bit, but I, I just wanted to put that out for a second and talk about why in the world would a system reward somebody for bad results? That's powerful. A lot of our audience probably at this point are familiar with several competing models like the capitation value-based model versus fee-for-service, which as you, you probably alluding to is one that you know leads to orthopedic surgeons doing more hip replacements than they need to, bad results, because it doesn't actually improve patient reported outcomes long-term as an example. And so can you tell us about the founding of ChedMed 80 
centers in 10 states. A little bit more about that and how you guys are achieving such remarkable results for a pretty vulnerable population. Okay, so let's just start quickly with fee-for-service. So you have a system here in which people are paid just to show up. In our organization, we call it trophies for trying. I got young kids, they all go play soccer. From the ages of like four to about eight, at the end of the season, they lose every game. They kick the ball in their own goal. But because they showed up, they get this wonderful thing called the trophy. Okay? And then about eight or nine years old, you have to sit down each of the kids and you say, listen, that's not the way this world works. You don't get a trophy for showing up. Okay? You don't get a reward for just showing up. You actually have to win. Okay? That's what you get you know, from eight and on. Healthcare never went through that change. The system today rewards you for showing up. Okay? Which means... The more people that show up at the hospital, that's a bill. The more patients that you see, that's a bill. The more surgery that you do, that's a bill. If there's a complication, you get paid twice. I had an executive that worked for me once. I got asked to go to the top floor of the children's hospital. The CEO had called everybody up to celebrate. And he said, well, what are we celebrating? And he said, we've nailed it. Our entire ICU and our children's hospital is full and the burn unit is full. We've nailed it. He resigned. We've got a system here that celebrates when people don't do well. JAMA came out with an article that showed that surgeons that have worse outcomes in the community actually make more money. And then if you just Google it, you know, I know Johns Hopkins, they did a lot of work on this, which is, you know, what's the number three cause of death in this country? Number one is heart disease. Number two is cancer, Right. Number three, which you don't see on a CDC website, but number three cause of death is actually hospital mistakes. Hospital mistakes, number three cause of death. And the reason is is that you're not rewarded for getting great results. You're rewarded for just showing up, trophy strong. So what what does ChemMed do? ChemMed's fundamentally different. The capitated model says here, I'm not gonna pay you for doing more. I'm gonna pay you for a great outcome. In fact, I'm gonna give you a certain amount of money. And if that... For your mom, your mom, she joins Chen Med. And I say, okay, great. I got a set amount of money. And the only way I'm going to be able to make money is if I can figure a way to deliver healthcare under that certain amount of money. Because it's not a, it's not like the more complications, the more sick they get, the more money I make. That's not the way it works. It's the way healthcare works today. But the way that our model works is that I got to figure out a way to deliver great care and a great result to your, to your mom under a certain budget. So here's what I realized. I realized that the number one cost out there is when people get catastrophically ill. They get heart attacks, they trip, they fall, they break their hip, they get strokes, they get all these horrible things, okay? They show up in the emergency room, right away it's four to $7,000, and that admission is anywhere from twenty dollars to $30,000. So I said, if I can get rid of that, figure out a way to stop those, and I'll stop all of them just reduce that number dramatically, then I can manage that care for less. And then then actually the organization makes money. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do with your mom now. Okay. Now as a caregiver, I go, wait a second. I got to figure out how to stop catastrophic events. So I don't celebrate bad negative events. I actually figure out a way to do whatever it takes to stop these negative events. So the first thing I do is I can't have a typical PCP to doctor ratio of 2,300 to one. I can't. In our neighborhoods, actually, it's even worse. 3,000 patients share one PCP. You ever wonder why your doctor has no time for you? Because they don't have time for you. So your mom is immediately going to get 
a concierge doc where the ratio is 400 to one. I want to see your mom every single month, virtually or in person, by texting. Your mom has my cell phone number. Call me. Tell me what's going on. We're going to partner together for your outcomes. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second of all, I'm going to make sure that your mom's on the right medications. I'm going to make sure also something that's unique. I'm going to make sure that your mom actually is starting to change her behaviors and her lifestyles. Because if you talk to cardiologists out there, we may have some brewing cardiologists out there. I'm, I'm a heart doctor. If you ask them, if we could guarantee to change the lifestyles and behaviors of your patients, how much heart disease could you reduce? And the answer is, if you said, hey, if you could force everybody to follow the life, healthy lifestyle, I think you could reduce 90 to 95% of heart disease in this country. Because just look at it, compare the US to like, you know, Japan. Substantial reductions. And that's based on lifestyles and behaviors. But as a cardiologist, and I, and I actually graduated with the equivalent of almost five board certifications. Ask me how many exercise classes or nutrition classes or lifestyle classes that's going to help me achieve this 90 to 95% reduction of heart disease in this country. And the answer is zero. Not one class in all of what the equivalent of is close to 15 years of schooling. None. Okay. So our doctors are now incentivized very differently. They're going to say, we're going to get you on the right medications, but now I'm going to go after lifestyles and behaviors to try to go after reducing your risk for heart disease. And by the way, the Lancet just recently published in recent years that you can reduce the risk of cancers. Cancers are due to lifestyles and behaviors. 40 to 50% of cancers are due to lifestyles and behaviors. So we start going after the holistic patient to reduce that negative outcome. And what happens is now we can substantially improve the outcome and we can reduce the cost. So we do it for cheaper. And your mom has a concierge doc that now can text and call their doctor on, the, on their cell phone. So your mom is so happy because now she has instant access essentially to every doctor. So we, we manage the service side, we manage the cost side, and we deliver better outcomes. And that's how we're able to reduce the hospitalization rates by 30 to 50% unrisk adjusted. We just published that in, for our COVID patients, people who get COVID, we have a 40% lower mortality, unrisk adjusted. Now, let's talk about social justice here. Chen Meng decided to take this model to the places where we needed it the most. So we actually took this model to those neighborhoods that I talked about, to the poorest neighborhoods, so we could take care of the old, the poor, and the sick. So when I tell you that we have a 30 to 50% reduction, that's compared to the average. Our patients are not average. 90% of our patients are within 300% of the federal poverty line. 74% of our patients have five or more major chronic conditions. Over 60% of our population in many of the markets are, are African-American and over 80% over are minorities. Okay, So we're actually going after this social injustice. And the reason is, is because delivery systems, hospital systems are moving out of these neighborhoods because you can't make money in these neighborhoods. The, the cost to build those individuals, is not, it's not enough. They're actually building in wealthier neighborhoods where the life expectancy is going up and they're pulling out of poor neighborhoods. So at Chenmen, we decided to go after this problem. We decided to go after costs. We decided to go after service. We decided to go after outcomes. And we decided to go after social justice. And that's why our vision is to be America's leading primary care provider, transforming care to the neediest populations. And we believe we're doing that today.
That's pretty remarkable. And obviously, we know a lot about the social determinants of health that go into, you know, lifestyle change, whether it's exercise or nutrition. A lot of these areas that you're in, when I was at Hopkins Med, I learned about food deserts. And, you know, we were in a food desert in Baltimore. Apart from having the primary care clinicians incentivized to be value-based care and, you know, actually develop relationships with the, the catchment area patients, how do you in- integrate or incorporate things like that? We, we recently had Marcus Osborne, who's the head of Walmart Health. And their whole concept is, you know, we can deliver Walmart healthcare centers and then there's the grocery store right next door. So like, we don't even care if the healthcare is a lost leader because now we're selling groceries to these patients. And so how does Chen Med incorporate social determinants of health? And then also as a follow-up, where do you see yourself in, in five years? I mean, 80 centers, 10 states, you all 50 states, or I'd love to hear more about that. You want to know the secret to, to Chen Med? What we're doing right now is this is called value-based care. And we, and we are the, most people would consider us the gold standard for value-based care, being at global full risk. Meaning we're accountable for the entire healthcare costs, not a portion of it, 100% of it. And our secret is two things. Number one is our caregivers. So what we've discovered is that if you look at these large transactional systems, well, their job is to take these caregivers, stick them in a box, and have them run as much volume as possible because that's how you make money, okay? You just show up at any board meeting for any of these large systems. The number one thing they talk about is, you know, volume and money, (laughs) okay? So what do they do? You take caregivers, doctors, nurses, PAs, whatever it is, stick them in a box, say, we don't want you to look at anything. Don't don't think, don't, don't worry about the system, don't worry about the health, just see patients. Just see patients. Give me more MRIs, more surgeries, more volume, just give me more of that. You know why doctors are burning out? They're burning it out, not because they have too much of something, because doctors can work hard. I, I, listen, before the Bell Commission, I could do an internship where we worked 120 hours a week. You shouldn't do that, by the way. But I can do it if I needed to do it. So it's not because we're working too hard. It's not because it's too much of something. It's because we're missing something. You know what we're missing? We're missing purpose. You stuck us in a box You've come taken away all my dignity away and you're just whipping me for volume. And that's what major, every major healthcare system tries to figure out ways to do, either through the electronic medical record systems or through the billing programs or through RVUs. The entire system is designed towards that. It's not designed towards outcomes, okay? So, or trying to achieve results. So now you're delivering these transactions and you just feel like I have no hope. I have no leadership role here. I have no... I'm not changing the system. Am I really making a difference? Am I making people better? And the answer is you're not. Because the studies have shown that you're actually, your results are inferior to other countries. Okay? So now what we do is we pull them out. We say, join Chen Med. At Chen Med, we are physician-led. We are physician-led. Who's creating the Chen Med model of how to substantially reduce and prevent these horrible downstream events? Our doctors are. We do not have business leaders running alone. No way, okay? In fact, we do exactly the opposite. We put all of our practicing clinicians through business training. It's the first thing we did because I had a choice to create the right outcome where you have to have the intersection of understanding costs and how to run a business and understanding how to deliver care to a patient. We had to combine those two. So my choice is I either take amazing business leaders and put them through med school, or I can take amazing doctors and teach them leadership and business training. Now you can obviously, you obviously know what we did, right? So we actually picked the ladder. So when you join Chen Med, we put you through 
six to 12 months, depending on the track that you're on, of intense, intense leadership, clinical, and business training to deliver a particular outcome. We are training physician leaders. It is those physician leaders that, that go to their populations in their centers, in their local, in their panels, and create solutions. And we give them the tools and the tech to go after that and go after the, the social determinants of care. So we have Tai Chi classes in every in every single center. That Because why? A New England Journal article came out and says, if you have Tai Chi, you can substantially reduce the fall rate for people with Parkinson's. Doctor came to with that idea. Within two weeks across our centers, we were running Tai Chi classes. That is how the model was born. During COVID hit, we, we told our patients, stay happy, healthy, and at home when it first spiked. And they were all running out of toilet paper. And so a bunch of doctors said, well, we can't have our patients running at Walmart to get toilet paper during when COVID is hitting. Let's go out and get them toilet paper or whatever it is that they need. They all had different neat requirements. You can't fit a doctor in the box and say, just check this box off. You've got to ha- expect that clinician and that team, which involves nurses and staff and a doctor, to solve this holistic challenges, all the holistic challenges of a patient in addition to their clinical challenges. And then you say, deliver an outcome. And we are going to pay you for that outcome. And these doctors, they love it. The staff, we have a compensation model that when the patients do well, everybody does well. And therefore, our clinicians are able to to really enjoy the fruits of that that labor. That's brilliant. I love that example of Parkinson's patients, Tai Chi. So the question of where you see ChenMed at 2025, for example, how many states, how many centers, anything you can comment there. And then also double dip that question with, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times. The reason we launched the podcast was talking about how we can not only flatten the curve, but raise the line and improve healthcare capacity and outcomes like you all are doing at ChenMed. What are some of the lasting changes you see as a result of COVID in addition to virtual care, which everyone talks about happening at ChenMed? So the first question about our growth trajectory Actually, even the numbers that we're quoting are, are old because we're actually opening centers as we speak. Right now, we're in 24 cities across the U.S. And I think it's across 12 states. So we're planning on probably tripling that number over the next three to four years. We discovered that this methodology of having physicians lead, selecting the right ones, giving them an amazing care team and the freedom to be able to deliver a set of outcomes and the training and the technology – it works and it's replicable. So probably we are the first truly scalable value-based care platform in the country. And so it's predictable. We know it works. We have a 100% success rate. And therefore, we're going to really push growth these next three years. So that's the first thing. We also think that there's a huge outcry because you know the caregivers in America, they, they don't have a place where they can truly explore a new care model that where they're not being stuck in a box and being whipped for volume. And we are that opportunity for them. Okay. Second thing, in terms of what we think is long-lasting from a COVID perspective, the fee-for-service system is a bad model. Okay. It delivers poor results. Our system delivers substantially better results, reproducibly. Okay. One would actually think it's unethical to continue to run, you know, run the control group. Once you realize you have such an improvement, but you know there's a lot of money in healthcare, so it's going to be really hard to to shift people's mindsets. But they're coming around, and COVID has accelerated that. Why has COVID accelerated that? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, all those hospital systems, when COVID shut everything down, they went berserk because all of their surgeries stopped. 
and they started losing money left and right. Meanwhile, they were waiting for Medicare to change billing for telehealth. They were waiting for all these things because they can't do anything unless they they can bill for it. We went from 95% in-person to 100% virtual in one week. One week. We started handing out toilet paper and personal items and driving around and delivering to patients that same week. We didn't have to wait for anything. Why? Because we actually are the care system. We don't have to wait for billable transactions. Our goal is to take best care of the patients and figure out how to do it and deliver a great outcome. So we're highly dynamic. And so I think that has come to light. That's why we have such a substantially better result, even when patients do get COVID in our organization. So I think that's out there. Second thing that's out there, of course, is of course the digital movement. We think that's out there as well. But again, systems are they're always behind because they're always waiting for, well, I got to go and lobby to, to the CMS or Medicare, whoever it is, will you pay for this new innovation? Will you pay for me to give healthier food? Will you pay for me to, because I can't do it unless you pay for it. Whereas we're sitting here going, nah, we're going to do what we think is right for the patient to deliver this amazing results. That's what we're going to do, regardless if it's a pandemic or there's this massive you know, fall risk thing that just happens. <laughs> Who knows, right? We've got to solve it. And we have the right people on board to solve it with the right mindset and the right incentives and the right technology. That's very inspiring. Our audience is primarily current and future healthcare professionals, a lot of trainees. And you, know, you clearly have a really interesting story at becoming a physician and creating this reproducible, scalable, value-based care model. What advice would you give to them about their careers in healthcare? Healthcare is fraught with folks who have this amazing picture of what healthcare really is. And they go through the, the effort to try to get in, first of all, because it's very competitive. You get, the, you, have to, you get the smartest people, period, right? And then they finally get in and then they, they get trained and have all these skills and they're excited about what they're, what they're capable now of doing. And it's a beautiful profession. And then all of a sudden they get out. And this, the reality of what I started to just introduce folks to hits them. And the letdown is tremendous. It's like the, the bottom gets pulled out from underneath you. And the number of people that I have met who've gone through that is enormous. And so what I would encourage folks to do is walk in with a sound mind. Realize that what you are being trained to do and what you're going to be able to do when you finish are two different things and start to push the envelope and look for alternatives. They're out there. We are one such company and we're growing rapidly. There are other ones out there that are going to be on the forefront of healthcare as opposed to what we think is going to be a dying side of healthcare. Okay. So, you know, if, if you're graduating and you have this amazing opportunity to develop tech, are you going to join like BlackBerry? People don't even know who BlackBerry is anymore for a reason. Okay. You're going to go join BlackBerry, which at one point was the dominant device in this country, or are you going to go join the next thing, the more innovative future thing? You're going to be let down. The chance that you're going to be really, really disappointed with the profession that you chose and an environment that is dying with your perverse incentives is going to be very high. Go and look for Look for it. And by the way, the more people are looking for it, the more people will build it, believe it or not, because people will meet the demand. 
And I think you got to find yourself as a healthcare professional in a much happier space because you've now found an environment in which, number one, caregivers, their voice actually matters. Number two, they get to be a part of creating the new version of healthcare, different from the one that's already failing. Number three, they get rewarded for delivering great results, okay, and delivering great population results and patient results. And number four, you actually get to go to med school. You actually get to do what you went to med school to do, which is find creative ways, evidence-based ways, but creative ways of how to heal people and enjoy that and be rewarded for that and be acknowledged for that. That's some incredible advice to end on. And when I was in med school at Hopkins, I kind of wish I had had the, had the opportunity to speak to you first <laughs> before I chose different paths. So in any case, Dr. Chen, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today and more importantly for the work that you're doing to really spearhead and pioneer value-based medicine in the U.S. Thank you, Shiv. With that, I'm Shiv Vivani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>